In the wake of the fall of Kabul and the Taliban's return to power in Afghanistan, Canada has attempted to resettle thousands of refugees, including people who risked their lives helping Canadian forces during the war. However, many have faced bureaucratic roadblocks in their attempts to reach the safety of Canadian soil. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Brian Passifume joins me to discuss the struggle faced by a Canadian veteran and his now pregnant wife, a former interpreter who was stuck in Pakistan, what has slowed her arrival in the country, and what is being done to get her and others here. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Brian, many Canadians could remember last summer on the eve of the federal election, the fall of the Afghan capital of Kabul being retaken by the Taliban and the concern that were felt by many about, you know, all the Afghan people who helped Canadian forces during the war in Afghanistan. There were scenes of chaos at the airport, people trying to flee, people clamoring to climb over the airport walls. In the more than six months that's followed, how many people who we had hoped to get out of Afghanistan have we gotten out of Afghanistan? It's one of those numbers that really change depending on who you talk to and depending on the information that you get. I wrote a story late last month that only about 2,300 Afghan nationals who assisted Canadian troops in Afghanistan have actually made it to Canada. As of February, IRCC, that's uh, uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, they've only approved about 6,000 out of the 9,400 refugee applications that came from Afghan citizens who helped our troops. Canadian government describes the people with endearing relationships with Canada. And what that means is that that's um, civilian contractors in Afghanistan who serve as interpreters, fixers, security, embassy staff, the locals that are vital to any sort of foreign military operation coming into a country. And in exchange for their service, in exchange for the, the dangerous work that they did, and I've, I've spoken to a few Afghan interpreters who tell some horrific stories about their time in the front line and what, what they went through. You know, in exchange for their work, we, we offered them a path to permanent residency here, a, a path to citizenship, a way of thanking them for the, uh, you know, the, the dangerous and terrible work that they did to help us and to benefit our mission in Afghanistan by, you know, a life in Canada. And, and unfortunately, it hasn't happened how it was promised. Even before Kabul fell, there were some really serious concerns about Canada living up to the promises that it made to the Afghan citizens who were indispensable to our efforts in Afghanistan. And what kind of roadblocks are these people seeing in their journey to try to get into Canada? Is it the slow pace of bureaucracy? Are there other roadblocks that these people are facing? Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. It's bureaucracy. It's endless paperwork. It's reams of double talk from bureaucrats who say one thing and then promise another. A group of former interpreters who testified in front of the uh, Standing Committee in Afghanistan a few weeks ago in the, the House of Commons. And, and some of the stories that they tell were heartbreaking. These are these people who had served as, as interpreters. They had come to Canada some time ago a few of them long enough to actually become Canadian citizens. And the stories that they tell are, are, you know, ever since what happened last year in Kabul can't happen, a lot of the stories are coming out. A lot of the stories of this endless, heartless bureaucracy at the hands of the Canadian government. One of them sat in front of members of the committee and asked them, stop playing 
politics of their lives, stop playing politics of their family lives. And these are people that came to Canada under the promise that their parents, siblings, and children would soon be joining them. But uh, a lot of them are just hitting their head against the wall trying to get past the miles of red tape in Ottawa. One of the things that kind of struck me in your most recent piece on this issue was the fact that there was an organization, the Veterans Transition Network, that actually said we're shutting down our work because we just can't manage dealing with this Canadian bureaucracy, its policies, and the fact that its staff are getting burned out. Like, What does that say about the process by which we're supposed to be getting people who helped us and people who are trying to flee an authoritarian regime in Afghanistan what does that say about how Canada is treating a vulnerable community like this? I think it's just as a matter of poor governance as it is of pure bureaucracy. These are anybody who's had to deal with IRCC over the years for whatever reason knows the nightmare it is. My wife is a permanent resident and she wasn't when we met. It took a long time for us to complete that process for her and her daughter to be able to get that status that so many people work so hard for. Mm -hmm. I should say permanent residency is not citizenship. It's not, you don't get a passport, you don't get to vote. It's all the privileges of being a citizen without uh, the benefits of pure citizenship. Canadian permanent residency is very valuable in Canada. So I don't blame the government for being careful with who it hands it out to. But at the same time, they have to realize that that promises were made. And and these aren't just your run-of-the-mill immigrants or refugees. These are people who who made a, a valuable and dangerous service to our country. And I definitely think that we owe them. I mean, this brings us to the story of Eric, a Canadian Forces veteran, and his wife, who was an interpreter for the Canadian Forces. How did you learn of their story? He emailed one of my editors and my editor passed on his contact information to me. I've, I've written a lot of stories about this and he thought that I'd be interested. So I reached out to Eric and I, I spoke to him the other day and yeah, he told me a story. It was that he had met his wife while he was serving over there. She was an interpreter. They fell in love and eventually got married. After Kabul fell, they managed to get her out of the country uh, as of, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, Bureaucracy in that part of the world relies on a few greased palms to make things work. So after you know spending a couple thousand bucks in various visa fees to get her across the border, she's been in Pakistan since September. And she is now five months pregnant with her husband's child. And they've just been completely going in circles trying to get her to Canada. She is approved under Canada's special pathway program for Afghan uh, interpreters. She is, by every right, entitled to come here, but uh, you know they're having a lot of issues. What kind of issues have they run into? Bureaucracy. Eric reached out to his MP, who, via the immigration minister, got him in touch with uh, an IRCC caseworker, who said a lot of great things to him. Said that you know your wife's situation is terrible; she'll be here within a month because she's pregnant. She won't have to do the medical exam, which is an extra cost and time. Unfortunately, none of that really came to fruition after that conversation. Eric and his wife were contacted by an IRCC caseworker in, in the UK who told him that because his wife hadn't taken the medical exam that she was previously told that she didn't have to take, it was holding up her application. So, you know, despite being told of what she wasn't necessary, she went out and, you know, paid to have the medical exam performed at a Pakistani doctor's office. Unfortunately, those tests take a long time to process. So, you know, it's, we're still looking at at least another few months before she's able to come here. And that's with the fact that her Pakistani visa to get into the country has expired. And, you know, if a Pakistani immigration officer uh, has a quota to meet, comes across her, you know, she's getting shipped right back to Afghanistan. So she is in a very serious situation. 
So, I mean, as far as Eric and his wife are concerned, time is of the essence here. Exactly. You know, they've only got another four months before she comes to term. And, uh, and he said that he doesn't want their child born in Pakistan. He wants him born here, wants him born in Canada, wants his family to be reunited, which I, I think is uh, an incredibly understandable sentiment to have. But, you know, I, I feel bad for, for what he's going through. And judging by the emails that I've, that I've gotten since the story was published, uh, a lot of people feel the same way. We'll be right back. Some may argue, well, she's out of Afghanistan, she's relatively safe, but as you mentioned, her visa in in Pakistan has expired, so she could be sent back to Afghanistan. And I can't imagine that the conditions for a single pregnant woman in Pakistan are that great either. No, Afghans have a hard time in in Pakistan as it is. There's a lot of suspicion and a a lot of uh, prejudice against them. Plus her being pregnant, unescorted adult female in a largely Muslim country, you know, she's getting a lot of attention and a lot of scrutiny. And from what Eric told me, that just multiplied many times once they found out that her husband was Canadian. So, you know, she can't leave her house. She can't even wire her money. The local Western Union agents uh, know his name and they, uh, you know, they refuse to release his money to her. Hmm. So what he's doing is he's having to enlist the help of Afghan friends to send money to her on his behalf, just as long as there's not that Canadian name on the Western Union form for her, she's able to still pick up the money because she's getting a lot of scrutiny from not only the shopkeepers, but local government officials asking why this single pregnant woman is getting payments from a Canadian male. It's definitely not the ideal situation you want to be when you're pregnant. I'm sure anybody who's had a child or anybody who's been married to a woman who's been pregnant uh, can can definitely uh, uh, sympathize with that. Looking at this situation, we have a man who served our country, you know, a Canadian forces veteran, his wife who helped our country in its military efforts against the Taliban in Afghanistan. They're hitting this wall of bureaucracy and it's potentially putting families' lives at stake. What does Eric have to say about his experience trying to deal with bringing his wife to the safety of Canada? He says it's a nightmare. I, I, he very naively thought, and uh, you know, even he would admit that that uh, you know, him being uh, him being a soldier, him being a, a two-time combat veteran, Canadian forces in Afghanistan, that that would carry a little bit of sway when it came to you know helping his wife's file wound its way through the maze of bureaucracy at IRCC. But you know, unfortunately, it isn't. You know, in Kabul fell last summer. I was speaking to generals who commanded you know entire divisions who her spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars out of their own pocket to help get their interpreters over the border. And, you know, they were just as powerless as, as anybody else to get this to happen. I wrote a few stories a few months ago about a liberal MP who even before Kabul fell, you know, eight months before the city fell, you know, him and 22 other liberal MPs, uh, you know, signed a letter to cabinet urging them to take action on Afghanistan before it's too late. And fortunately that never came to be. And, uh, you know, after Kabul fell, he sent a series of emails to cabinet and to the then uh, immigration and foreign affairs ministers acting to take action. And he was thanked for that by a message from the PMO telling him to mind his business and let uh, cabinet do their job. So even people within the system are frustrated with how things are unfolding here. So how many Afghans do we estimate are either still in Afghanistan and in need of assistance in getting out of the country? or are in places like Pakistan where they're awaiting 
bureaucratic approval to come here. What kind of numbers are we talking about of people still trying to get to Canada? It's really hard to tell. I'm not accusing the government of, of, of being duplicitous, but it's, it's hard to get accurate numbers because you know, you're dealing with people who don't want to be found. You're dealing with some people that have completely dropped off the radar. You're dealing with people who are dealing with veterans and, and, and other groups that you know, operational security to protect you know, the people that they're trying to protect is paramount. You know, there, there was uh, some really disturbing cases of Taliban infiltrating some of these groups, pretending to be you know, interpreters and, and foreign people fleeing the Taliban just so they can infiltrate these groups. So it, it, it's, it's hard to get an accurate number. I know that, uh, that Canada has promised to bring over 40,000 or 30,000 or whatever the number was thrown out during last year's election. There was a story in the CBC that said that Canada welcomed its 10,000th Afghan in Canada late last month. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get concrete numbers. The story I wrote back in March 24th said that, you know, there was 94,000 refugee applications from Afghan citizens. IRCC has only approved about 6,184 of those. And of those, only 2,385 have actually made it to Canada. And that's of the, the special programs that they had set up just for interpreters, embassy staff. And in the absence of numbers, and it isn't, I can understand why it may be hard to quantify how many people we're trying to bring here, how many people are asking for our assistance to come here. Do we know what the government is doing now? I mean, obviously there was a big push as Kabul was under siege to get people out and, you know, we, we managed to get some out. Do we know what the government is doing now? Obviously we talk about emails with the prime minister's office telling liberal MPs to mind their business and let the grown-ups handle it, but what are they doing to handle it? It's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, if, if you ask the people who are directly involved in the system, if you ask the people who are actually, you know, hoping and praying that their file ends up on someone's desk, not much is happening. It seems that there's a lot of red tape that still needs to be cleared. Ukraine is another issue too. Ukraine is kind of like whatever little bandwidth existed within IRCC and with global affairs with Afghanistan, this completely been gobbled up by what's going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, our government's making a lot of similar promises to Ukraine. The government seems to be caring a lot more about Ukraine than Afghanistan, which is uh, leading a lot of people to level accusations of discrimination against the government. I was speaking to somebody the other day who said that if uh, you know the Afghanis were white, you know they all would have been out of there by now. So a lot of what I'm hearing is that the, the biggest problem right now, it's just, it's, it's, it's a clog of red tape and a clog of bureaucracy. For example, Eric's wife, you know, when she originally signed up for the program, after being approved for this pathway that would get her a permanent residency, she was rejected. And she was rejected and told that the caseworker was not convinced that she would leave the country by the time her visa expired. Hmm. And this isn't a program to get interpreters visitor visas. This isn't a program for them to come here and visit. This is a program ostensibly to give them a pathway to citizenship. And, you know, now after she's applied, she's told that it seems that she was somehow shunted into a stream for visitors visas instead of the permanent residency program for the interpreter. So there's a lot of concern about that. And there's a lot of concerns that uh, problems here go far, far deeper than just promises and useless bureaucrats that it's the entire system that really needs to be rooted out and overhauled. Yeah, it is very much a heartbreaking story to see families who are left in limbo by our own government. Brian, thanks for your time. Anytime. Thank you, sir. 103 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Brian Passafume. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.